Peace Bible Living with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Do you ever feel like there's a war going on in your life or in your family? Or do you feel like you're under attack? On today's program, John will be continuing his series on the book of Revelation with his message, What We Need Most in the Middle of the Battle. It's interesting to me, in chapter 7, we read that 144,000 were saved. In chapter 14, we read that 144,000 are now in heaven. Everyone Jesus saved on earth ended up in heaven. It doesn't say that 143,000 made it to heaven. No, all 144,000 made it to heaven. So everybody that, that Jesus saved, Jesus ended up taking them to heaven with him, which says to us that when you come to Jesus Christ, For salvation, not only does he save you, but he keeps you, and he never loses you, and eventually he will take you to to heaven to be with him. But the point I'm making really today is that in the middle of life's battles, we need to keep our focus, our mind, not just on the battle, but on the fact that one day the battle will end. You see, for these Jewish people, Christians, after they got saved, they were going through this tribulation, but we learned from them that for them, the tribulation ended and they were taken to heaven. And so they didn't have to stay in that forever. And so I don't know about for you, but in my life, it is helpful for me to know when I'm going through a hard time that one day the hard time will end and it's not going to last forever. Let me give you a scripture verse to write down. You can look it up later. But in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 2, it describes how even Jesus Christ, when he was going through his ultimate hard time of his death on the cross, it tells us how Jesus endured. And the scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so even as Jesus was hanging on that cross, when he could have called angels from heaven to have gotten him off from that cross and and been freed from all that agony and pain, he endured. But how did he endure? He endured because he was thinking about a better day for the joy that was set before him. And and what was going on in Jesus' mind when he was on that cross? Well, One of the things Jesus was thinking was, I'm not going to be on this cross forever. I'm here for a finite amount of time. I'm shedding my blood. I'm giving my life for the salvation of everyone who will believe. My blood will forgive every sin that will ever be committed. But eventually, I will die, and I will be buried, and I will be raised, and then I will be in heaven, and I will be with my Father, and my mission will be over. And so for Jesus, in, in the mind of Jesus, he was thinking, I'm not always going to be on this cross. It's painful now. It's hard now. It's difficult now. But it will not last forever. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And I think we learn from that, that when we're going through these difficulties in life, if we can somehow keep our mind on the fact that these difficulties won't last forever, certainly one day we'll be in heaven, but even in this life, most of the challenges we have in this life, maybe not all of them, but most of the challenges we have in this life, they even pass during our time on earth. They're not forever. They're temporary. And so Jesus endured 
because he could look to the joy before him. We can endure because we look to a better day, certainly to heaven, but also on this life. Uh, as a man told me many years ago, he said, John, I want to tell you something that won't mean much to you now. I was 18 years old. I was just starting out in the ministry. And he said, but I'm going to tell you something that one day will mean a great deal to you. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, I'm going to give you four letters, TTSP. I said, TTSP, that doesn't mean anything to me. He said, well, let me tell you what it means. He said, it means this too shall pass. You're not going to be going through. When you get out, I wasn't even going any, through anything hard. I was 18. But he said, out there in life, you will. And just remember, this too shall pass. Earlier this summer, when my mother was going through her chemo for the lymphoma, that was one of the things that we tried to do to encourage her was to say to her, Mom, and, you know, this is not going to last forever. You've got about four months of treatment, and it's going to be tough, but it's not going to last. It's going to get over with. And I can remember one day I was in Mardell, the Christian bookstore down off of the Gulf Freeway, just kind of looking at some books one day and walking through the, through the store. And, and I came to the puzzle section, and I saw some good-looking puzzles, and I saw one puzzle that was called Old Pumpkin Farm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's just, a, just like it describes, it's a picture of a farm and a bunch of pumpkins out there and a pickup truck and a big white house. It's just a, a beautiful fall scene. And so I said to myself, I'm going to buy that puzzle for my mom and give it to her. This was probably back in early part of June. And I said, I'm going to, and so I bought it. I gave it to her and I said, Mom, I don't know on most days if you're going to feel like working this puzzle. I said, but you may just put a piece or two together every few days. I said, but the reason I got this for you is as you go through this chemo, you're going through the chemo in the summer. But I, when I saw this picture, it just blessed me. And it was a reminder to me that fall is coming. And so you can just work on this and be reminded by the time we get to fall, this chemo will all be over with. And so she started working on that puzzle. And I was over at their house a lot. Every time I was over there, she had put some more pieces together and didn't take her any time at all. Uh, she had completed that whole puzzle. I did not know that puzzle putting together is a spiritual gift. But she has it. And she can put them together fast. And she put that puzzle together. And I said to her, I said, Mom, I'm going to take that down to Hobby Lobby, and I'm going to get that framed for you, and I'll come back over here, and Dad and I will find a place, and I got it framed and took it to their house, and my dad and I, we found a prominent place in their kitchen where she could be sitting in the den in her chair, and she could look out into the kitchen, and she, all summer long, she could see that picture, Old Pumpkin Farm. And that could be a reminder to her that fall is coming. Chemo will be over. This will soon be in the past. Fall is coming. Fall is coming. Well, she liked that. She got so excited about that that she pulled out another puzzle she had been meaning to work on. It was a Christmas puzzle. This was Santa Claus and the tree and, and the fireplace and a beautiful winter scene. And, and, and she started working on that every day, a 500-piece puzzle. All the time I was over there, she had more pieces, more pieces. She said, John, I've got this one put together. You need to go back to Hobby Lobby. Get it framed for me. I went back to Hobby Lobby, got it framed, put it in a prominent place in the kitchen. I said, now, Mom, every time you look at that, it's a reminder to you Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. She said, John, there's another picture I've been wanting you to frame for me. She had one of a Christmas tree with two kids, a little girl and a little boy. She said, that reminds me of Charlie Joe and little Joel. She said, I want you to take that back to Hobby Lobby. I spent all my summer and all my money at Hobby Lobby. Getting, I mean, we, we were at my parents' house back in the middle of July hanging up these Christmas pictures. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Fall is coming. Fall is coming. But, you know, I think that was not only good for her. 
I think that was good for us because it gave us something to look forward to. And what I'm saying to you today is, as you go through your battles and your struggles and your difficulties, don't get so focused on what you're going through now that you fail to look beyond it and that you forget to remember that fall is coming. Christmas is coming. Ultimately, heaven is coming. And I think that's one of the reasons that God gave the Apostle John this vision. Put yourself in John's shoes. Not only was he having a vision of this tribulation period that was going to be so hard and so painful and so bad, but John was all alone on that island in pa- on the island of Patmos there on the Aegean Sea having this vision. And we think about how lonely he must have been. But when he got a glimpse of these 144,000 Jews in heaven in the presence of Jesus, surely that encouraged him. And surely he thought, just as they are up there with Jesus, one day I too will be there. Because just like Jesus didn't lose them, Jesus won't lose me. He will keep me and he will get me safely home. So in the middle of the battle, we need a view of the end. Second thing we need in the middle of the battle, and that is we need to become increasingly more like Jesus. When we're going through a very difficult time in our life, one of the things we need to do is, is, is to understand that in that battle, we have an opportunity to grow spiritually in ways that we wouldn't have if we weren't going through that battle. And so I think many times when we're going through something, just human nature says, I want to hurry up and get through this test, or I want to hurry up and get over with this difficulty. I I want to get beyond this problem. Well, we have to remember, if we're going through a problem, God has allowed it. And the primary reason God has allowed it is to grow us and to develop us in some way. And so what we want to do is to, to view it as an opportunity to become increasingly more like Jesus. Whatever it is that you're going through, God has a plan, and you have to view this difficulty or this discouraging time in your life not as something to just rush through, but as something, as an opportunity to grow. And I can think about times in my life I've been through things, and I've said to God, I say, God, I just pray that you will, here's how, I I guess it's because I grew up in East Texas, but I say, God, I just pray that you will milk this cow dry and teach me everything I need to know. And show me everything I need to learn. And God, don't let me go through this and miss something that I desperately need to know in my life. What I'm saying is that in the middle of the battle, we need to become increasingly more like Jesus. And so as I think about these 144,000 Jews, the amazing thing to me is not only that they got saved in the first place, and not only that they all made it to heaven safely, but the amazing thing is how much they loved Jesus Christ and how close they were to Him. Now, you see in your bulletin today, I've listed out five qualities that these, Jewish, these converted Jews had. And I could preach a whole sermon on this. I'm not going to. But let me just mention these because I think these, when we think about becoming more like Jesus, the question is, well, how can I become more like Jesus? How can I grow through this experience so that when it's over with, I'll be better off having gone through it than I would had I been exempted from it or had I never gone through it? And so let me give you five ways that you can get closer to God. Number one, intimacy with Him. Intimacy with Jesus, closest to him. Look back in verse 1. John said, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. That is, these Jewish converts. And so there's Jesus in heaven. Where are the 144,000? They're right next to Jesus. 
And that says to me that in our lives, we need to be that close to Jesus. Nothing between us and Jesus. Intimacy with Him. That difficulties wouldn't drive us from Jesus, but they would bring us to Jesus. And that's the idea here. The second thing we need to grow is worship of Him. One of the ways that we can grow spiritually is by worshiping God, certainly in our corporate worship by coming to church, but also daily and privately by reading our Bibles and praying and even singing songs to God. Sometimes we sing them here in church. Sometimes we sing to God in our cars or in our homes. Look in verse number three. It says, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So what are these 144,000 Jews doing in heaven? They're not only close to Jesus, but they're worshiping him. They're praising him. They're thanking him. They're honoring him for saving them, for changing their lives, for getting them safely home. And that says to me that God values our worship of him. Last night I was, I have a few pastors that sometime I'll just pull up their Twitter page to see if they've said anything good. And one of the pastors that I pull up sometime, he pastors a church in Alabama. And he, uh, he sent out a tweet yesterday and in his tweet, he was referencing an old hymn that many of us remember, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And when I read that last night, I just kind of got that tune in my mind. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And he said in his tweet, he said, you know, as a pastor, he said, I'm so aware of how many sins I have committed in my life that I don't feel comfortable standing before a congregation publicly and judging other people for the sins that they have committed. And then he quoted that verse, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So sometimes... God will just put a song in our, in our mind. I can remember one time when I was going through a very difficult time in my life. It was back before we had moved into the permanent worship center. Our offices were still down there where the school is now. And one night I was up at church, I guess about 7 o'clock one evening and a little later than normal. And, and I was either listening to a CD or I was listening to the radio. I can't remember, but a song came on by Greater Vision, great southern gospel group who's been here several times. And... Uh, and the name of the song is, God Wants to Hear You Sing. And up until this time, I had never heard that song. But when I heard the song that night, God spoke to me through it. And it was like God said, John, this song applies to you. Now, during the difficulty, is when I want to hear you sing and when I want to hear you worship me. Anybody can trust me and praise me and serve me when it's easy. But when it's hard, that's a whole other different thing. Let me just read you a little bit of this song. It says, their chains were fastened tight. Down at the jail that night, still Paul and Silas would not be dismayed. They said, it's time to lift our voice, sing praises to the Lord. Let's prove that we will trust him, come what may. The second verse says, he loves to hear our praise on our cheerful days, when the pleasant times outweigh the bad by far. But when the suffering comes along and we still sing him song." That is when we bless the Father's heart. Now listen to the chorus. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstance is as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. And so I think we can learn something from these 144,000, and that is that we grow closer to God, not only by 
being with him, but also by worshiping him. And then purity. We, God wants us to be pure. Look in verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, you study that passage in the commentaries, and you're going to get a lot of possible meanings for what that is. Some say this is literal. These 144,000 were celibate. They had never been married. They were literal virgins. Others say no. That is not necessarily what it means, but it means that they were pure. They may have been married, but they're, they, they were pure and devoted to their wives. Others say, no, we don't think it's talking about literal women and being a physical virgin at all because this same language and even the word virgins in other places in the Bible is used talking about spiritual purity. And even in the Old Testament, uh, God talked about his people Israel committing adultery against him. Well, he wasn't necessarily talking about physical adultery. He was saying they had committed adultery because they were worshiping other gods. And so there's some scholars who say what this is a reference to is the fact that these 144,000 were spiritually pure. Now, I don't know which one it means because it just, I mean, you have to determine how how you try to interpret this. But the one thing we can take from it is these 144,000 were pure. And we can apply that to, we do know how we're supposed to apply that to our lives. We're supposed to be pure, sexually pure, morally pure, mentally pure. We're supposed to be uh, spiritually pure, pure in every way. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so God wants us to be pure. He doesn't want there to be any sin in our lives, any sin of any kind. And I'm kind of glad that I'm not sure which one of those it literally means, because in my life, I can just apply all those to me, and you can to you. God wants us to be pure. And then another way we can grow uh, increasingly more like Jesus is by obeying Him, obedience to Him. Look at the second half of verse 4. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The sentence before that says, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And so wherever Jesus goes, there go these 144,000. They're following him. And that says to me, we need to do the same thing. Wherever he leads, we ought to go. And then the next quality they had, they had integrity like Jesus in verse 5. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so we need to have integrity in our lives. What I'm saying here, and I could wish I had time to expound on that more. But what I'm saying here is that in the battles of life, we need to become increasingly more like Jesus. And we need to view difficulties, hardships, setbacks, pain, whatever it is, not as something to escape or to get through or when will it ever end and I can get over this. No. To view these as opportunities. And again, as I said, to know whatever it is you're going through today. How many of you would say at this time in your life, either you or somebody you love in your family is going through a difficult time? Raise your hand. That's virtually everybody in this room. So how are we going to look at it? Something we're going to just rush through? No, God, you've allowed this into my life. Tua was right. God, you always have a plan. He's lost his hope for the Heisman, his hope for a national championship. He's lost all that. But what does he say? He said God has a plan, and God's plan is, is bigger than winning a Heisman trophy or winning a national championship. So God, milk this cow dry. Teach me everything I need to know. Make me more like Jesus Christ. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Remember at the beginning when I made the statement that as amazing as the human brain is, it can only focus on one thing at a time. You can't concentrate on two things at a time. You can try to do that, but you can't. You can only truly focus on one thing at a time, your problem or God, heaven, Jesus, the good that he's doing in your life. This past Thursday night, 
Billy Graham's oldest daughter, Gigi, was here, and she spoke at our Something Special for Women uh, evening, and she is just a, an amazing program. She did such a good job. It was her second time to speak for us. Well, before the program, I was talking to her just for a few minutes and just seeing how she was doing and how her family's doing. And, and uh, of course, her father's just one of my ultimate all-time heroes, you know, growing up. If you grew up uh, in the world I grew up in, or even in a, in a Christian home at all, how could Billy Graham not have been someone that you just esteemed and revered? And I certainly have and still do. So I was asking her questions about her dad and, and you know, what he liked to eat and things like that. I mean, I'm always trying to learn these things about, about people. I think it's very interesting. In fact, uh, one of the things I had read about Billy Graham was that he liked to eat those little Vienna sausages in a tin can. And I said that one Sunday year, after he died, I said that in one of my sermons. And the next day I got to work and somebody had put one on my desk and said, if you'll eat that, you'll preach like him. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe I should be eating that. I don't know, but... But I, I'm fascinated with little, thing, little nuggets like that that you could only get from somebody who knew him well. And so we were just talking. And, and she said, John, I'm going to tell you something that happened one night, not too long before my dad died. She said, of course, he was confined to his home for the last few years of his life, and he had 24-hour assistance. So there were people there helping him. She said, but I only live about 10 minutes from my parents. And so she said, I went by their house all the time. And even after my mom died, she said, I would go by and check on my dad all the time and spend time with him. And she said, one evening or maybe one afternoon, she said, I was at my dad's house and he was in his bed and I had gone in there and talked to him for a few minutes. Of course, by this time now, Dr. Graham's vision is almost gone. His ability to hear is, he was not completely deaf, but he, he had difficulty hearing. Um, he couldn't. I mean, he just—he was 99 for one thing, but he was—he had all kind of health issues going on. And so one day she was just standing next to his bed, and they were talking. And and she said he was kind of alert, and then he would go to sleep, and alert, and then he would go to sleep. And they had kind of said goodbye for that visit. And she said, "Daddy, I love you." And he said, "I love you." And she said, "John, I just thought to myself, well, he's going to sleep, which will be good for him." And I need to go and run some errands, which will be good for me because there's some things I need to do. And so she said, I just kind of patted him on his hand and I was walking out of his bedroom to go get in my car and run some errands. And she said, when I got to the bedroom door, he called me, said, Gigi, come here for just a minute. So she went back to him and, and she said, what is it, daddy? And Dr. Graham said, Gigi, this is totally out of the blue. He said, you have to remember to focus. And she thought that was a strange thing for him to say. And she said, well, focus on what, Daddy? Now, this is Billy Graham on his deathbed. And he said, you have to remember to focus on the cross and on the person of Jesus Christ. And then he went to sleep, and she left. She told me that story the other night, and it was like God took those words from her, from her dad and then to, to just put it in my heart and in my mind. And it was like we have just received from Billy Graham the secret to how he died in peace. He was on his deathbed, Wife already gone to heaven. 
Kids scattered all over the world. Can't do anything for himself. Can't even see much or hear much. And you wonder, what was on Billy Graham's mind? What was he thinking? How did he keep his sanity? And how did he keep his peace? As life was ebbing away, what was he doing? He was focusing on the cross. And he was focusing on the person of Jesus Christ. And when Gigi told me that, I thought of that verse in Isaiah 26. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We hope that today's message, What We Need Most in the Middle of the Battle, has been a blessing to you. You can find this message and many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today. We look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.